You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Amen, amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We come by your Holy Spirit who, who indwells us and who is, who is leading us to address you, to relate to you as our Abba Father, God. Thank you that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Thank you that he is a rock of refuge. Thank you that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe, God. Thank you that we can look to you and rely on you and relate uh, to you, Lord. We pray right now, God, that as uh, we are seeking your face, we are wanting to be men and women, Lord. We are looking to be uh, uh, young men, young women. We are looking to be a church, God, that is centered upon, that is growing in prayer, prayer personally, prayer corporately. And so we pray for more prayer. We pray that you would use your word in speaking to us right now so that we would grow in being able to speak to you. Lord, would you do what only you can do? May you move powerfully by your spirit as your word is open and taught and applied. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree, I say amen. Amen. Well, please be seated and open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. Have you ever been watching one of your favorite TV programs at home with your, with your family or a group of friends? Sorry, if you don't have a Bible, the ushers will come up and down the aisle and help you get one. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. But back to your living room and you're on the couch with your family or friends, you're watching one of your favorite shows and the the normal 30 minutes or one hour has already elapsed and time has just been flying by because you're you're so enthralled in the story, the way the plot has been twisting and turning, the way the characters have been developing and relating to one another, you're completely engaged and then it comes to this absolutely crucial moment and then those three words flash up on the screen. To be continued. Now anyone here who watched television before 2015 and the onset of Netflix and on-demand viewing, to be continued used to mean that, that there was, you're going to have to wait a week until the next episode. Or if it was in the spring, that would mean that you'd have to wait until the, the television season launched again in the fall. I mean, now Netflix just automatically loads the next episode for you, and you just move from episode to episode, season to season, series uh, to series. But to be continued was this promise that there's more to this. There's something more that you need to learn. There's some exciting things that are still around the corner. To be continued, in fact, was a promise that it's not over. And in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells the church at Colossae that there is something that is to be continued, something that should never come to an end, something where there is always something new and exciting that we are to be learning. And the Apostle Paul says that that something that is to be continued is prayer, that there is more for us to grow in, more for us to develop in our relationship with God. God. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with 
Thanksgiving. And so this weekend is a house of prayer, a weekend. And this is a time where we set everything else aside and we have a sermon all about prayer and then we gather for a prayer meeting on that Sunday evening. So tonight we're going to be meeting as a church and we are going to be meeting at our future facility. We've rented our future facility at 7755 10th line. So 7 o'clock tonight we're going to be gathering for a prayer meeting. Who knew when we started this house of prayer thing back last fall, this was the furthest thing from our mind that we would actually have a house to pray in. And yet God has been working and stirring and moving in such amazing, beautiful, powerful, glorious ways. And so here we are. Uh, Tonight we're going to be gathering for uh, a prayer meeting at 7 o'clock. And I just want to encourage you uh, to prioritize being there because prayer is something that is to be continued. We are about to move from one location to another, and that means some things are going to have to be discontinued. Setting up and tearing down chairs, that's going to be discontinued. We're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, so. there, there are some things that are, we're just not going to do anymore because we're in a new space, but loved ones, there are some things that must be continued. And prayer is how this church started, and prayer must continue. It's not optional. Corey Ten Boom said, prayer is not your spare tire, it's your steering wheel. It's not just something that's forgotten in the back, rattling around in your trunk, only ever use it if you need it. You probably don't even know how to use it if you ever have to, no. It's not your spare tire, it's your steering wheel. And we need to make sure that we follow what Paul says here, to continue steadfastly in prayer. Now more than ever as a church. Our attendance at this prayer meeting is more crucial than ever before. It's our desire as elders that our first act as a church family coming together, the first thing that we do as a church would be that we would pray together that we would thank the Lord, that we would ask the Lord, that we as brothers and sisters in Christ would come together and pray to our Father. And then, loved ones, it's a challenge also. It's not just about one prayer meeting. It's about an attitude and a culture of prayer in our church for years to come until Christ returns. So today we're going to see from this passage three commitments that we're going to need to make. If we're going to continue in prayer, we must make these three commitments. The first one is a commitment to steadfastness. A commitment to steadfastness. It says, continue steadfastly. Uh, It's it's one word in uh, the Greek. It's two words here translated in Colossians uh, 4.2 into English. To continue steadfastly. Now, that, that same Greek word is translated with one word in other places in the New Testament. For instance, in the book of Acts, it's translated devotion or devote yourself. Some of you, if you don't have an ESV Bible today, it says devote yourself to to prayer, doesn't it? And it's the same word. It's the same word that's used to describe the, the, the 120 people in the upper room, that small group of people devoting themselves to prayer. Then the Holy Spirit came. Peter gave the first message. A whole bunch of people got saved and baptized. Boom, they grew from 100. Uh, just over 100 people to now 3,000, but it says that they devoted themselves. Even though the church changed, one thing continued. 
Even though being small was discontinued, prayer continued. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to prayer. And as they were getting used to being this massive group of 3,000 people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved, and they experienced some growing pains, and some expectations weren't being met. And so the, the apostles put some processes in place to make sure that everyone was being cared for. And the reason why the apostles did that is because they said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's the, same, that's the same word that's being translated here, continued steadfastly. Acts 1, they continued steadfastly to, in, in prayer. Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the prayer. The, the, the apostles in Acts 6.4, they continued steadfastly in prayer in the ministry of the word. Now what does, it, what does steadfastly mean? It's not a word that we use in everyday language. Chances are, of, of all of the words that you use throughout the week, steadfast probably wasn't a one of them. Well, sometimes the best way to understand English words is to just sort of take them apart a little bit. It doesn't always work. You know, a butterfly, if you take, a word, take apart the word butterfly, it doesn't always work, does it? You know, butter and fly. That, that doesn't really help. But a word like steadfast, if you take that word apart, you understand what it means. The first, the first part is stead. If you choose something instead, that means that something was in this place and you put something in its stead. A stead is a place. Your homestead is the place that you call home. Something that is steady, a structure that you build that doesn't wobble but is secure, you call it steady. That means it stays in the same place. So that's stead. Now fast, and this, is, in this instance is why language is so strange, fast doesn't have anything to do with velocity or speed. Think about fastening something, like screwing something, drilling something, gluing something, fastening. So to be steadfast is to be fastened, to be attached, to stay in the same place. And so loved ones, as we're thinking about our church moving from one place to another, there is a, there is a place, spiritually speaking, where we always have to stay. We must steadfastly remain in the place of prayer. I mean, this church started in Keith and Sylvia Jarrett's living, living room, and then it outgrew that. We moved to a conference room at the Marriott Hotel, and then God provided this space here at Sir William Gage Middle School, and then provided our ministry center at 83 Kennedy, and now we're about to move to 7755 10th Line. But at each and every place, although we move from place to place, it's imperative, it's important that we remain in the place of prayer, that we are steadfast, and so we must be committed to continue steadfastly in prayer. Easier said than done though, isn't it? It's, it's so easy for prayer to, uh, to fall by the wayside, to, to end up more like a spare tire than a steering wheel. And that's because there are three major deterrents to devotion, three stumbling blocks to steadfastness that we need to watch out for. Distraction, discouragement, and disbelief. We got to watch out for distraction, discouragement, and disbelief belief. First off, distraction. This has always been a problem for people, but it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a huge problem in our generation. We are the most distracted people of all time. And your main distraction right now is in your pocket or in your purse. And, and even as this sermon has been going, something's buzzed or rattled or rang there or beeped, 
And, and you're thinking you can't wait for the preacher to move over to this side of the room so that you can just open up your pocket and see who sent you a message. It's a distraction, isn't it? You're trying to pay attention, but we're so distracted. I mean, I left my phone at home today. I'm more distracted not having my phone. I keep thinking I should text Lindsay and say, bring me my phone, please. But that, I can't do that. I don't have a phone. And I have no idea what time it is. I'm having to ask people. It, it's been a distraction. We are living in such a distracted age, aren't we? And I mean, advertisers know this. They're always trying to catch our attention along the road. They're always trying to catch our attention online. You know, you're, you're shopping for a pair of shoes for your kids online. You're, a, you're on Amazon or Sport Check or something like that. You're trying to find shoes. And then you get distracted. You go off and do something else. So now you're on a different website. What shows up in all of the ads at the top and the side? Advertisement for kids' shoes. Why? Because advertisers know how easily distracted we are. They know that we gave up looking for shoes, but they know that the new thing that we're doing, we're going to be distracted doing that, and they're hoping that we'll click on one of those other ads as well. We live in such a distracted world, and so we need to understand the importance of focus in prayer. We need to understand the call to steadfastness is not an easy call. It's intensely difficult to stay focused, to remain steadfast. Here's the second one, a little a little harder to talk about, it's discouragement. Distraction's one thing, and we can kind of joke about that, but discouragement's a really real thing. Discouragement can be with God, or discouragement can be with ourselves. It can be with God in that we've asked God to do something, and his answer has either been no, or his answer has been not yet. And we've prayed and prayed and prayed, and we can become discouraged. But Jesus told a parable, and, 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 and Luke said, Jesus told the parable so that we would always pray and never give up. That discouraged, Jesus was aware, that's why he told some of the parables he did about prayer, because it's easy for us to be distracted, it's also easy for us to be discouraged. Discouraged with God, why aren't you, why aren't you answering me, me, Lord? Sometimes we can be discouraged with ourselves. Sometimes we don't pray because we just gave in to that besetting habitual sin. We just lapse into behavior that, that we know is destroying us and we feel filthy, we feel unclean and we think that somehow we're not worthy of praying and we need to, to spend a couple of days to sort of clean ourselves up before we go back and approach God. Some of you are thinking, some of you had to second guess whether or not you should come to church today because you're thinking, you know what, I'm really not a good person. In light of what happened this week, I shouldn't come. Some of you are thinking, you know what, I can't go to, I can't go to prayer meeting tonight because, because I still have this going on in my life. Well, in fighting that kind of discouragement, remember that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus, basically in the same breath, said, give us our daily bread and forgive us our sins. That confessing our sin is supposed to be a daily occurrence. It is part of prayer. We don't have to deal with sin on our own so that we can pray. No, we specifically and humbly acknowledge our sin before God, and then we trust in God's promise to forgive us, 1 John 1, 9, that he's faithful and just if we confess our sins, to, to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we need, to, we need to understand, don't let discouragement draw you away from God, whether it's unanswered prayer or whether it's disobedience in your own life. Allow that discouragement to drive you closer to the Lord. 
Because ultimately, if discouragement continues to grow in your life, it will lead to this last one, disbelief. Disbelief, not believing that God is real or not believing that prayer actually works. And disbelief plays itself out in in two different ways. One is that, well, the situation's so small and I can figure it out on my own. I don't need to pray, not believing that you need to pray about everything. So sometimes disbelief happens because we think we can handle it. Sometimes it's because the situation's small, but other times it's because the situation is so big. And we think this is even beyond what God can do. Even the creator of the universe can't fix this problem. So the next time you're fighting disbelief when it comes to prayer, whether it's a small situation or whether it's a huge situation, and you think, I can handle it, or if you think, even God can't handle this, here's what I want you to remember. You ready? I want you to remember this. Remember nothing. You got that? It's vitally important that you remember nothing. When you're facing disbelief in prayer, remember nothing. Nothing. Let me tell you what I mean. When the situation seems so small, and yeah, I can handle it, remember nothing. John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do, say it with me, nothing. And when you think the situation is too big, that even God can't handle it. Luke 1, 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. So when you're facing disbelief, the situation is too small, the situation is too big, always remember nothing. You got it? Remember nothing? Okay, terrific. That's part of being steadfast. Daniel Henderson said the only enduring motive for prayer is the belief that God is worthy to be sought. You can hear a sermon about prayer and that might fire you up for a little while. You can be invited or pressured by someone to come out to a prayer meeting. You can have a great plan or structure to you. But listen, the the only thing that will make you steadfast in prayer, the only thing that will make our church committed to continue in prayer is if we have a high view of who God is, his worthiness and our neediness, that we can do nothing apart from him and that nothing is impossible with him. So the first commitment is steadfastness. The second commitment is this, watchfulness. Watchfulness. If you got your eyes on your Bible and you're looking at my outline, you can see that there isn't a whole lot of creativity here. I'm basically just taking the words from the text here because the text is so clear. We gotta, be, we gotta be steadfast, and then we've gotta be watchful. That word watchful is, is it's a military term. It's describing a soldier that's on guard, someone that is a responsible for keeping awake and keeping alert in order to protect not just his fellow soldiers, but the people that the soldiers are there to protect. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a word that is weighty with responsibility. And Paul said that we are to be watchful in our prayers. This is the word that Jesus used in Matthew 26, 41, where he said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. This is what Jesus told Peter, James, and John in Gethsemane. Watch, be alert, stay awake, be on guard, don't fall asleep. And how did that work out? Jesus came back three times and he found them not watching but sleeping. And so loved ones, if we are going to be watchful, we're going to have to take this command very, very seriously. If you were told that tonight it was vitally important for your own safety and the safety of those that you love, 
It was vitally important that you stay up all night. Now, some of you in university are like, no problem. Uh, for others of us who have a few, you know, been a, a few more laps around the track, right? That's going to require a plan, isn't it? And the plan is not going to involve eating a massive turkey dinner. It's not going to involve putting easy listening Kenny, Kenny G saxophone music in the background. It's sure not going to involve dimming the lights and lying horizontally. That would not be, that would not promote alertness. Now what would you do? You'd crank up the tur- tunes, turn on bright lights, and you'd probably pace back and forth and do something to keep yourself awake. You would have a plan. Alertness requires a plan. We won't just naturally pull an all-nighter. You need to, you need something to do. You need something to occupy yourself to help you focus. And so, loved ones, we need a plan. We need a plan to remain watchful. If we're going to stay alert as individuals and as a church, it requires a plan. And so with a plan comes structure. If you're going to be alert, you must be structured. And so we have several structures right now, and we want to continue to build on these structures. We have structures for prayer. We have the connection cards. That, that helps us find out how people need to be prayed for. And then there's a time where, where the pastors are praying for those prayer requests. On Sunday mornings, the worship team has a structure of praying before rehearsals. And you see them up here on the stage, huddled around after the service. They're praying again. You harvest kids, praise before the kids come. The welcome ministry, praise before. There's certain structures in place. These house of prayer weekends are part of the overall structure to make sure that we don't fall asleep in prayer, but that we remain alert. Personally, we need structure. We need things like prayer lists to help us stay on track. We need things like scheduling it into our daily routine to make sure that we're, we're engaged in prayer regularly. As someone, as someone mentioned to me that because our theme verse during this amazing move that God is doing uh, in our churches, Ephesians 3.20, far more abundantly, they've set an alarm on their phone at 3.20 p.m., not a.m., let's be reasonable. 3.20 p.m., they have an alarm in their phone to remind them to pray, to thank God for all that he's done, and to pray for him to continue to provide for all of our needs as we move into this new uh, facility. Those are structural things. If you needed to stay awake, you'd probably set a few alarms in your phone, wouldn't you? So should, shouldn't we be using every means possible to grow in being more structured? But structure isn't the only answer. We, we need to be committed to being structured, but we also need to be spontaneous. We need to be spontaneous. If something comes into your mind, a big problem, don't think, well, I'm supposed to pray about it tomorrow morning, so I'll do it then. No, pray about it right then and there. How many times do we hear someone, they, they, they drop some big news on us or some struggle that they're going through and we walk away from them and say, you know what, I'll be praying for you. And then guess what happens? We're easily distracted, aren't we? And we forget to pray about it. And so why not just right then and there spontaneously say, okay, I'm just going to, maybe you're not super comfortable praying out loud. It doesn't have to be a big long prayer. Just praying that God would work in that situation right then and there. Be a spontaneous Also be spontaneous in watching for things to pray for. Being on the lookout to pray in the moment for those kinds of things. So be structured, be spontaneous, and then thirdly, be specific. Be specific. This is something that God has really been challenging me in. I think sometimes I try to cover for God in my prayers. 
I sort of lay out all of the options of how he could work in this particular situation. Meanwhile, there's something really deep down in my heart that I want God to do. And the Psalms say, pour out your heart before the Lord. And so if there's something specific that I want God to do, I'm asking him to do, then I'm trying to be specific. And you know what is so encouraging? It helps me to be watchful. When I make specific prayers, I get the answers really quickly. And I'll be honest, sometimes the answer is a flat out no. Sometimes I'll pray for something specific to happen quite quickly and I'll realize, okay, that didn't happen, that's a no. But listen, and sometimes that can be discouraging, but you know what? The more specific you pray, the more answers you actually see. So there are a lot of no's when you say specifically that God would ask God to do certain things, but when you see the yes, and it's something that only God can do, then it fills you with so much joy and excitement for what the Lord has done, and it fuels future prayer. So be specific as you're being watchful so that you can watch and see how God is answering. So steadfastness and watchfulness and can you guess, based off my creative outline today, what the third word is going to be? It's going to be thankfulness. Thankfulness. Paul gave one command, continue steadfastly, followed by two participles, being watchful in it. And then he said, with thanksgiving. Prayer and thanksgiving go hand in hand. Asking God to do new things and then thanking him for the things that he's already done. Psalm 92.1 says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Loved ones, I didn't learn this until a lot later in my life, that thanksgiving is not just about politeness, it's about power. A thankful heart is a pure heart. A thankful heart is a, is a heart that is, that is beating for Jesus, a heart that says thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you is a heart that is living the kind of life that God has called us to live. In all of the tools and weapons in the arsenal that God has given us to fight sin and temptation, one of the ones that is so often overlooked is gratitude, thankfulness. Let me show you what I mean. We all have different sins that we struggle with on a regular basis. Sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a daily struggle that we're fighting. Other times there are, there are different sins that come at different seasons in our life. And everyone's sin looks different. And the, the, the fruit of our sin takes many forms. But if you were to follow all of the different fruit of sin and follow it along the branches and down through the trunk and get underground to the roots and move from the fruit down to the root and to discover what is causing me to behave this way, what is producing this poisonous fruit in my life called sin, You'll see that there's only two or three, the, the, roots are, the root system is very simple. There's only two or three roots. One of them is discontentment. Discontentment. And thankfulness is a powerful weapon against discontentment. Think about ways that we sin in our finances. Overspending and going into debt and being obsessed with materialism. Where does that stem from? Discontentment, doesn't it? 
Think about strife in our relationships and things like envy and jealousy. Where does that come from? Discontentment, doesn't it? Think about sexual sin and lust and giving in to those kind of desires. Where does that come from? Discontentment at the root. So how do you fight discontentment? You've got to promote contentment. And how do you promote contentment? With thanksgiving. To say thank you. To come up with a list, to continually be thinking of things as you're praying, things that you are thankful for. Having the heartbeat of your life be thank you, thank you. What you're meditating on and muttering under your breath in every situation, things that you're thankful for, thank you God for, thank you God for, thank you God for. It will transform your life. Thankful people are not materialistic. Thankful people are not lustful. Thankful people are not jealous. If we pursue thankfulness in our life, it is such a powerful weapon in destroying all of those sins that are destroying us. So discontentment is one of those roots. Another one of those uh, roots is worry. Now worry itself is not a sin. God has hardwired us to worry. He, he knows that, that that's, that's part of how we live and survive is to worry, to be anxious. But it's what we do with that worry that so often results in sin. And so God's word tells us that thankfulness is one of the ways that we are supposed to fight against the temptations that come with worry. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, we're... we're those of us who struggle with worry and anxiety, we're familiar with this verse, aren't we? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, notice this, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. One of the ways to fight worry is to be thankful, to look back at your past and to say, thank you, God, for the ways you've come through so that we can sing like we sang today, great is thy faithfulness. Not just to be thankful in the, in the past, but also to be thankful in the present and to come up with lists and to be reciting about the ways that God is at work in our lives right now. To be thankful for simple things like oxygen and air conditioning. Oh wait, we don't have that right now. We gotta find something else to be thankful for because don't let discontentment seep in. Thankfulness, thankfulness, thankfulness. Big things and small things is such a powerful way to fight against worry. And then really the root of all roots is pride. Pride ultimately is at the core of, of all of the, fruit, the poisonous fruit of sin in our lives. Pride doesn't say thank you. Pride says I earned it and I deserve it so I'll have it. Where humility doesn't say, I earned it. Humility says, God gave it. You know, Adam and Eve, you know, that, think about the first sin. Discontentment was definitely there, wasn't it? It, 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 was, it was there in that they weren't thankful that they could eat from any of the other trees in the garden that God had provided. No, there was discontentment in that. Why can't we eat from that tree? And then when the serpent slithered in and said to them, you know, you will be like God, then pride took hold. And they gave in and ate the fruit. And so, loved ones, we must be vigilant against fighting sin from the roots and understanding that one of the most powerful ways to uproot sin in our lives is through thankfulness. 
giving thanks to the Lord. As a loved one's thankfulness is going to be a huge thing for us at our prayer meeting tonight. We're going to gather in the foyer of this beautiful facility, and we're just going to stand there for a minute and ask ourselves, what on earth are we doing here? And then we're going to give thanks. Because we did not earn it, we did not plan for it, we did not do it ourselves. We have been placed in that place because God has chosen us to place us in that place. It is his work and we are going to give thanks. And listen, we're not just going to give thanks for bricks and mortar. We are going to give thanks for the gospel and the God who loves us. We're going to give thanks for the forgiveness of sin and the cleansing of guilt. We're going to give thanks that we have a relationship with God. Because pride says, yeah, we did this. But humility says, God did this. Pride says, glory to us. Humility says glory to God. And so we're going to gather together and we're going to give thanks to God for all that he has done. And then we're going to trust God for him to do far more abundantly in our midst. Because, loved ones, the truth is we all fail when it comes to steadfastness, to watchfulness, and to thankfulness. The truth is that we're just like Peter, James, and John sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane. But the beauty of the gospel is this, is that the guys who were sleeping and never even bothered to pray, while Jesus is over here as the Son of God, and he is earnestly praying, he's alert, he's watchful, he's thankful, he's steadfast, he's going back three times and asking the same question, and loved ones, the gospel is this, is that Christ's prayer was not answered. Do you remember what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? When his disciples were supposed to be watchful, Christ prayed, let this cup pass from me. Let the cross pass from me. And Christ's prayer in that moment was not answered. And his prayer in that moment was not answered so that us who are sleeping and who are ungrateful and who are not alert and who are not steadfast, his prayer was not answered so that we could be guaranteed that in Christ our prayer will always be answered. How mind-blowing is that? That we being so undeserving, and again, the only enduring call to prayer, the only enduring motivation to make us a people of prayer, to make us a church characterized by prayer, is an understanding of who God is. That he is a God who chose to not answer the prayer of his son so that he would answer our prayer as sons and daughters who are welcomed into his family because Christ suffered and died on the cross. Because we are an ungrateful and proud people, a discontent people. And yet God was merciful to us and poured the punishment that all of us deserved on his son at the cross so that we could relate to God as Father and so that we could know that God will always answer our prayers. And so let's bow our heads together and let's ask that God would make us a people of prayer. And so Heavenly Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of your Son who agonized in Gethsemane over the reality of taking on our sin. And we come in his name, God, and we pray for more prayer. And God, we pray that you would give us a greater vision of who you are and what you have done and what the gospel means. 
And God, that we would be a people who are thankful, that we would be a people who are watchful, and that we would be a people who are always steadfast, remaining in the posture of prayer, God. Help us not to lose this in all of the things that are happening right now in our church, all of the change, all of the excitement, God. Help us not to lose sight of the importance of us depending on you and relying on you in prayer. And so, God, we ask that you would be our vision, that you would be what we're focused on, Lord, that we would gather tonight, Lord, not just to see the building that you have provided, but to see you and to worship you and to pray to you. So, God, we ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.